After a life-changing event, my guest Sue Brain has dedicated her life to understanding what it means to live and die, and how spiritual well-being is about connecting with the core of who we are and acknowledging being part of something so much greater. On this episode of the Executor Help Podcast, how to wear your mortality with pride. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. So with me today, I'm very fortunate to have a conversation with Sue Brain. She is the author of Living Fully, Dying Consciously, among others. She's also a TEDx speaker and a podcast host. And Sue firmly believes that we should all be living consciously for a better world. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, Sue. It's lovely to join you. Let, let's start back at, at the beginning. So 30 years ago, it's a mid-August afternoon. You're out on a flight uh, with one of your best friends, John, you're flying back to an airfield. Can you share a little bit of what happened to you in, in the story? And is this well, the reason was... that you decided to wear, wear your mortality with pride? Well, it was one of the, mo- the, the the defining moments of my life. There's no question about that. I mean, we were flying around about 1,500 feet up. we just come down because the air traffic control said there was a plane, a large plane coming. And we were just in a two-seater Cessna. Right. And we hit an air bump and the propeller stopped going around, basically. Ooh. And we just fell out of the sky. I actually, I thought at the, to start with it, he was kind of goosing me. Right. And I thought, you better, you know, stop doing that. And I saw the, the the blood drain out of his face. And I thought, oh, my God, this is serious. And as we were coming down, um, he was looking for some, He was jettisoning fuel, sending out mayday calls. Um, and then as we were coming down, I could see a bank of trees we were heading to for. And he was trying to get to the, the field behind the trees. Right. And I suddenly thought, we're not going to make it. We're just not going to make it. And we didn't with the... The um the wheels hit the, the tops of the tea tree, which spun us around and then just oh. whacked us onto the ground. Um, wow. And all I can remember is shards of glass falling into my lap because right. everything imploded. And just this, you know, I mean, I can't believe that we survived actually, but we did. I, I, find, then, I find it interesting in the book. You also said that you survived a light air crash. That, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's it. That, that, find it light. That that would be. <laughs> I don't know if it's well, light. It's a light but, aircraft. It's called that, but it it was the, the defining moment of my life. I mean, it stopped me in my tracks. Right. These things do, um, and because. And um, neither of us were physically injured. And the the, re- the plane was a write-off. Right. Um, and then he just shouted at me, get out, get out, the plane's going to blow up. And that was really terrifying. And I remember just throwing myself out of this crumpled door onto the ground. And right. the plane obviously didn't blow up, thank God. Right. Um, but as I was sitting beside the wreckage of the plane going, what? Um, this sentence just dropped into my head, which said, your life is a sham. And it, I had it was like um, a complete wake up call that the life I had been living was very hedonistic and I was deeply unhappy and I didn't know who I was. Um, and it felt like this is how the universe caught my attention. So that in that moment, I knew that if I didn't change my life, it would have been better to, to have died in the crash. And that was the moment. Yeah. And then 
I just thought, well, what, how, what do I do? How, do? how do I get well? And that started me on this massive journey, which I'm still on, mm-hmm. healing journey to, you know, to, to go back to who I truly am. So, but it just has led me into this amazing, amazing adventure. I know once you, because you, you said you, you thought of your life as being a sham, you, you went through a lot of, I guess it was a wake up, but I guess the, you know, I know you had, um, you know, going to work you, you, with your, your business, losing that and all these yeah. things that you went through and you, you were pretty much at, because of this life altering uh, incident, you're, you, you came to a point in your life where you decided, well, I'm going to change it for, and you decided to enroll in a, a particular course and you were down to, yeah. because you sold your, your, I think it was your grandmother's ring. That's right. To, to fund it. Yes. I didn't have any money. Mm. Wow. I mean, but, I didn't realize, but at the time, obviously I had post post trauma, right. but I didn't realize that because in those days it was never spoken about. Right. So I was completely comatose. I was un- unable to function. So I lost my job and I lost my flat, everything, the whole, my whole world just collapsed in a heap. Um, but you know, it's funny. It's kind of like, you know, the universe just took me where I was next meant to go. And I, I just trusted it because that was the only thing I could do, actually. Um, it was either that or give up. And I wasn't willing to do that. All right. So at what point, well, let's flip that uh, flip too, is that that so many people think of, well, you, you've come through this and you've got a, a, a different definition of what mortality would be. So what in your yeah. you know, different thoughts are, are, are what mortality would be? Well, for me, I mean, before I never used to, used to think about before the I mean, life was before the crash mm-hmm. and then there's life after the crash. And I think a lot of people who have very, very profound experiences look at life like that. It's before the experience and then what happens after the experience. And before the experience, I, I didn't even think about my mortality. It didn't even register. I think I was so caught up in drugs, drink and <laughs> behaving very badly. <laughs> you know, that was the kind of focus of my life. But afterwards, I just feel that, you know, more, the word mortality has got really bad press because it's normally associated with death. But I like to turn that on its head and really sort of look at our mortality is the time that's given to us. And how do I want to use that time? How do I want to contribute to this life in my own very small way to try and make it a better a better experience for people, you know, and myself, actually, Um, we're all in this together and so I, I look at mortality as, a, as the gift of life. And of course, at the end, we die. There's no question about that. But I want to get to my deathbed thinking, well, you did good in the end. You know, you, you were a bad girl turned good. <laughs> so, you know, and that's how I look at life. You know, that's, that's my focus is that, that I'm here I'm here to learn and to grow and to contribute as much as I possibly can right. within the context of who I am. So why do you say that most people are really not afraid to talk about death? Because I always saw it's the other way around, you know, since I wrote my book and having people on such as yourself, other experts, that I find that most people are afraid to talk about death, but you you see it the other way. I I I do, and I'll tell you why, because when I wrote the D word talking about dying, mm-hmm. I interviewed 
hundreds of people about their relationship with death and dying. And what came to me, it's not that they are afraid of talking about dying. They don't know how to. We've literally, we've never been told how to talk about death and dying. Because in my experience of working with lots of people about helping people to talk about death and dying, start the conversation and then they, and then and they will automatically start launching into the story about somebody who's dying in the family or they've got a terminal illness they're just desperate for the space to talk about death and dying so it isn't the fact that we're afraid to we don't know how to mm-hmm. and that's that, that's a cultural thing i think but i i don't know what it's like in canada but certainly in the in a, in here in the uk um, people are very awkward about it because, as I yeah. said, we've never been taught how to do it. It's the so same all work, over, yeah. Yeah, in, in Western culture. But in my work, that's what that's might be my work for the last almost 40 years now is helping people to talk about end of life and death and dying. So then why is there so much ignorance about the subject? Oh, it's cultural again. It's beginning to shift, you know, <laughs> Um I, I joined the um, Death Cafe movement, and I think that that's done a huge amount. To, I, I can only speak about England because this is the only place I've run Death Cafes, but I do think that shifting consciousness around the whole concept of talking about death and dying. And maybe we should talk um, Death Cafes, talk a little bit about yeah. that because actually, I, I've been to a couple of them here in Canada and okay. maybe talk about. What is a death cafe in um, how it started and how you um, how do you yeah. run one? OK, so so the death cafe movement was started by John Underwood in 2011 and he was a Buddhist and he became he just he had a feeling like he had a calling to challenge our society's attitude or to, towards death and dying and the fact, how do we talk about it when we don't talk about it at all? And that he felt that was set up the Death Cafe movement. Um, and I became involved with that very early on. Um, and so I've, I've got I've, I've run Death Cafes, hundreds of them, you know, through at home um, in very di- different venues and also online. And what Death Cafes do is they provide a, 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 a safe, confidential space for anyone to come and talk about end of life and death and dying in any way they want to with the obligatory cup of tea and piece of cake. That's the key to the death cafe. (laughs) And, you know, this lovely sort of sense of, I mean, I'm always so touched because um, when people come to the death cafe, it doesn't matter if they're online or in person, they've come for a reason. And within seconds, everybody's meeting each other in their hearts and talking about things that really, really matter and talking about painful things that they've never spoken about before or the fear of dying or whatever it is to them. And they just felt they feel held. And that's what my work has always been about. How I ended up going to Death Cafes. I had a guest on um, a couple of shows ago and she ran death cafes and it was during COVID. So I've been to death cafes online. I haven't been to a, a, um, a, a live one, but I've been virtual, but I can only imagine what it must feel like being in the room with someone talking about, because the experience I had 
sitting online with, uh, I think it was about seven or eight of us, just the stories. I was new to it. I didn't know what to expect because I thought I was intrigued by the, the concept. And sitting in on it, you can see that people have stories that they want to share. They want to help other people. And uh, it's, I think it's something that more people should do because there is the uncomfortableness of the subject and people are just looking for a group of other people to share the, yeah. the you know, the unknown and those who have actually gone through, um, you know, a death or going through grief in the, in their family. Yeah, I think I think for me, the death cafes are a, a space where we all learn from each other. I mean, I think that's the the beauty. Nobody knows about death and dying because guess what? We haven't done it yet. But my goodness me, we can share the stories about sitting beside people who are dying. We can share our fear of death together. And in my experience, you know, when we talk to each other and we're open hearted with each other and there's no sense of judgment or criticalness or anything like that, people just go away totally transformed. Yeah. It's a beautiful process to see how people open up and blossom and then they go do you know i want to go and run death cafes where i live go for it you know as many as possible yeah you just got to go online and you can see yeah um you know where they are they're held all around the world and yeah. uh again it's it's an interesting um situation to be sitting there and listening to other people like I know what I had went through with my parents passing away, but I didn't know what to expect when I got there. But it is a a safe space. It's a place where people can just have conversations and you hear the stories that are very important to people and how it's yeah. changed their life. And Absolutely. It, it's going to it's going to be healing to somebody else to hear somebody else's story. So what are some of the factors that people overlook when it comes to having a meaningful life? Because, you know, we're talking about death, but you wanted, you're always talking about living consciously. We'll talk a little bit about that in a couple of seconds. But what are people overlooking when it comes to having a meaningful life? Well, that's such a big question, because I think it's where you are with yourself. I mean, if you're living a life that's full of fear or stress or an anxiety, you know, you're not really well. you're living, you're existing, you're surviving. And I think for me, living consciously is going beyond the survival and just really engaging with who you truly are and what makes you tick and finding meaning and purpose to your life and what you do in life. And the big teachings for me around this was I trained with a um, an organization, which was the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross organization. And one of her great teachings is that you know there's there, there are four parts of us the emotional the mental the physical obviously but also the spiritual and if you haven't engaged with the spiritual what you're really doing is you've created a three-legged table and a three-legged table can't stand up mm -hmm. and i felt that when i saw that and when i grasped the concept the importance of spiritual life spiritual communion spiritual a connection with something greater than me um, that's when my life really began to sink in and I began to feel as if I could contribute contribute something rather than just taking all the time or being in a space where I was um, completely incapable of 
of registering anything really apart from trying to survive from one day to the next with a big mask on by the way i'm fine and i think when you connect with the spiritual you take that mask off and you you're you know it's about your truth isn't it it's about your integrity right. and that for me has been incredibly important in my life i take my spiritual journey very that's my number one priority yeah but you do you think or is it because what you went through you know 30 years ago with the airplane crash you had something you know traumatic happen to you whereas most people that they come to not their end of their life or just living their life and they're thinking what's next that they don't know who am i what am i about you know wh where am i going what why am i here and but yeah. they haven't had that traumatic do most people think about that or they're just going through their day-to-day -day living because i know you think there's an an excess of people or a lot of um selfishness that's built up in, in our society yeah i do think that actually i think if you're if you're living for yourself for what you can get for what you look like for what you own and your that is your um that's your geiger counter if you like you know everybody's looking at me and I look fantastic and I've got this fast car and a beautiful house and whatever it's a pretty empty life underneath it you know mm -hmm. but so which which is why I believe that the, the the spiritual life is a the essence that fills us up from within um and for me I believe and I may be completely wrong here but this is my belief having talked to you know spent 40 years on this journey I believe that we are called to spirit. Mm -hmm. I believe we're called to connect with something higher. And there are certain points in our life, particularly around the middle age crisis, when we suddenly go start getting reality hits and maybe life isn't turning out like we thought it might do. But what is there next? Why do I feel my my work is just empty and I'm on this hamster wheel and I don't care about it, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, people are called and it's whether you answer the call or not. It's that's a very person. That's free will. Yeah. In the book, you have a, a friend, you talk about the story of Sarah and her desire yeah. to die her way. Maybe you want to tell a little bit that that story. Well, she was a remarkable woman. Um, she was a tour, tour um, person. She She used to take people on massive walking journeys all over Italy. She adored Italy. Um, so she was a very fit woman. And then she had a bit of a crisis in her 50s. And then she went traveling again. And then she she got Parkinson's. Um, and that just stopped her in her tracks. And But what she always said to me, um, actually, well, rolling back that back slightly, I remember her saying to me, if I get to the point where I can't look after myself, please help me. And I knew exactly what she was saying. And I said, I can't because that's illegal. Hmm. But what I can do is I can support you if you have to go into hospital and ask them, you know, and to support you asking for the kind of end of life you would like. Because that's all we can do. We can't do anything else. It's a, it's a. We don't have assisted dying in the UK, which I know you do in Canada. Uh, yes, in parts do, of yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think so. So that was that was our agreement. And she was very clear. She didn't want to be resuscitated. She didn't want to have life extending treatment. And and that's what happened for her. Um, it wasn't a a terrific death, um, but she died 
She died with dignity because she was in control of what was done to her. And I think a lot of people hand themselves over to medical science or doctors or whatever has happened and things get done to them. And she did not, she was very clear she didn't want to do that. And she taught me a lot. And I am definitely going to be following the same journey as her as I approach my death. I want to be in control of what happens to me as I die. I know in your TEDx talk, you also talk about having, making sure that you had a will and you had everything organized for your family. Is that part of you? You know how you want to die and you want to make sure. I mean, I can't predict how I'm going to die. I might be knocked over by a bus tomorrow and that's out of my hands. But um, how if I have a protracted death, I am, you know, I've I've, um, signed um, um, my um, uh, oh gosh, what do you call it? I've I've signed papers to say that I um I don't want um life extension or to be resuscitated. Yeah, yeah, and, you, and, and you, that's been signed by my brother and my son. So you've had the conversations with your family, oh, yeah. and they understand what you want done. So there's going to be no ambiguity. Oh, I don't know what Sue want, you know, and that could also lead that leaves a lot of stress on the um, on the family. Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't want well, the thing in England. And again, I don't know what happens in, in the in Canada, yeah. but if you haven't made your wishes known and the family is around the deathbed, if one child is saying mum wanted to didn't want life extending treatment and the other child said, oh, yes, she does. And I want her to. That's what happens. Yeah, it, it's pretty much very clear that's not OK for me. Yeah, it, it's pretty much the same here in Canada too. It's going if you don't have any clear directives of what you want by not having any signed papers or anything like that, it yeah. opens it up to you know the government being involved. It can it gets the and it, it just drags out your memory because yeah. the legacy that you're leaving behind has left the family in chaos and it's disorganization. What you're doing and also what uh, Sarah wanted to die her way is the way yeah. that I think people should. And don't talk enough about of how they want things to be done. Absolutely. And I know I want to be buried and I want to be buried near her in the same. It's um, it's an open plot. It's it's in a field. You know, I'd be very happy to go next door to her. I think it'd be lovely. (laughs) Um, But just to say that um, I'm now 70 and I'm taking my 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 autumn years very seriously i want to be as clear as i can be when i die because i don't want to die with anxiety or fear or unfinished business yeah. so i'm making sure that every, you know if i feel anxiety or fear or you know that nasty feeling of dread or anything that comes to me i always do some work on it and find out what the core of it is to actually make peace with it so that's my work I look at for myself now is to to consciously prepare to go as well as I possibly can whenever that happens. Why are we so afraid of living? Well, as I said, I think it's unfinished business. And I think it's the way we've been educated. We're educated in fear, restriction, constriction. We are educated to try and be like everybody else. We're not educated to to celebrate our individuality. We're kind of all put in a, you know, you're sent to school in the same uniform. 
Um, we're very programmed by the patriarchy. Sorry, I know you're a bloke, but it's true. <laughs> you know, um, you know, they've done a good job on us. The church and the patriarchy have done a damn good job on us. But I do think people are now breaking out of that and they're beginning to really understand that there's more to life than what we have been taught. There's something greater than us. Some people call it God. Some people call it, I don't know, the light okay. or um, the fire, you know, the universal fire or what well, doesn't matter what you call it. But something greater than us is 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 part of us. And I believe that calls us all the time to ascend from the kind of the depth of um, sort of the earthly stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff that it just doesn't serve us, really. Mm. Uh, but to integrate, I think we have to learn to integrate the spiritual into human form so that we can use it as part of our our experience, our experience of the human condition. I'll put it that way. Well, you talk a lot in the book about spiritual well-being. So uh, what is it and what does it mean to you? Spiritual well-being for me means I feel at peace with myself. I go to bed and I go to sleep and I don't wake up with anxiety in the middle of the night. Or as I said, if there's something ticking in the background, I'll 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 really work with it to find what that's about. Um for me, that's spiritual well-being. I think it's also um I think for me it's about understanding the human condition that we're just passing through this life that's all we're doing we're just having this life experience in a physical body and at some time that is going to come to an end and for me I'm actually glad I'm going to die I don't want to live forever I could think of nothing worse I want to do my three score years and ten and maybe a bit more and actually really put all myself into it because I've only got one shot at this who knows if I'm going to incarnate again? It doesn't matter. What matters is this life and arriving at my deathbed feeling, well, you did good, girl, you know, from a crappy start. You, you've done yeah, okay. You, you've got a, a second chance and you, you know, you were yeah. going down one road and it was like yeah. a crossroad and you, instead of going left, you ended up going right. Yeah. And it's brought to you, brought you where you are and every, all the things that you've gone through, the people you've talked to. You ended up talking to me about something that clearly means a lot to you. I know you talk a lot about the psychology of dying consciously. What is the goal? What are we trying to achieve with this? Well, I think, you know, that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? I mean, we have to, to, to you know, there is this to, to know thyself in that context of know thyself, I think is the most essential things that we can do in this life that's the journey right. and I feel like everything else is an expression of that journey whatever we do however we fill our time however we contribute to the time that is given to us the journey for me has to be about know thyself and that's what enables us I believe to to die consciously that to be on your deathbed going crumbs that was a hell of a ride but you know we got there and we did this and we experienced this. And, and I think to know, to, when you get to know yourself, you stop comparing your life 
with anybody else's or you stop feeling envious of other people's lives because guess what that's not your life Mm -hmm. your life is the one that you're living and I think it's about psychology for me is about pulling back from this sort of brainwashing that we have to be like everybody else or we and we're living in a celebrity culture where we're just um what's the word for it sort of like um well you you want to follow what what yeah. other people are doing you want to yeah. be envious of them we want know, they're, say- they're, they're living the great life why can't i live that so Ex- you're fixated yeah. on influencers or celebrities that yes. whatever they do this is what i should be doing with my life or i want to look like them i want to live right. like them but yeah. it's not your life it, it's but when you're on your you know your deathbed yeah. and you say that you want to feel that you haven't left anything behind nothing's not been done is it to get to that point is it because people fear what death is going to be like or what it's going to be like on that deathbed that you don't you don't know what's coming? Is it the fear of the unknown, which most people have trouble with? Um, It can be. I think a lot of it is existential. I mean, if you don't have faith, a faith, I do have a faith. I'm not a Christian mm-hmm. and I'm not a religious person, but I have faith. There's something greater than me that that helps me in my life to unpack who I am and to lead me to the next step along my journey, if you like. I never feel alone these days because of that. Um, but I think a lot of people are struggling with faith these days because the, you know, the influence of the church is breaking down. Where do you go with that? You know, ha- what is faith these days? Um, and belief, you know, and I think if people don't have that, it must be very scary to be, to think about being on your deathbed. I mean, for me, I just feel like I'm going to shed my body and move into a different form of consciousness. I don't know if my personality will survive. I'm pretty sure it won't. Um, but th- sort of the essence of me, if you like, this is very Buddhist, mm-hmm. you know, will continue as a stream of consciousness and perhaps incarnate later on in another fit in another human experience, but not not with me present, not with Sue Brain present. Is that why you believe the universe is in all of us? I believe, I'll tell you what happened in, when I I just been on this trip to Egypt and it really struck me because the skies are a little bit clearer, clearer there than they are here. We have a lot of gray cloud here and we have a lot of light pollution. And what I realized when I was in um, Karnak and in, um, the Valley of the Kings and other temples that roll back the time, actually not that long ago, before the Industrial Revolution, people would have gone around their daily business during daylight hours and planted their seeds and raised their children. And then at night, the night sky would have come. And I don't know if you've ever looked up at the night sky and seen the Milky Way or seen all the, it's awesome. The night sky fills you full of awe and wonder. And that's what we've lost through light pollution, particularly. We've lost that connection with looking up and going, I am part of something so much bigger. And I think that's the sadness of modern life. Mm. All we do is we look at our phones or we're on our computers. 
that's how we that's how disconnected we've become yeah it's not good for the soul so over the 40 years have you been working in this area um all of the research you've done is there something that you've learned that's new or, or is there anything that you've learned that surprised you oh life surprises me every day <laughs> um <laughs> because i feel i'm present with it um i feel like i live in the as much as i can i live in the moment i really practice that and and there's always somebody saying something or doing something or i read about somebody and just go wow that's amazing or the new there's so much new science that's coming that i won't be here to witness because i'll be gone by then but you know humanity is really changing fast and the 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 changes that we're experiencing right now are breathtaking i don't i mean of course change has been happening forever it just does it's been part of the the deal of being on this planet and having a physical body, we're always changing from the moment we're born. We're constantly changing through our aging process. Um, humanity is constantly changing. Generations are constantly changing their, their themes. And for, for me, I just feel, I feel I've connected back with the awe and wonder of life, which I totally lost before the plane crash. And it's been a journey to come back to that. And I feel that that's what I am taking with me into my aging process. This sense of life is extraordinary. It's challenging and difficult and it can be horrible at times, but my God, it's an extraordinary adventure. It sounds like you haven't lost, you haven't lost your wonderment that you, you no. seem to always want to be learning. And, and you know, as we're, we're talking, um, and we're taping this, you had just come back from a trip to Egypt, which you just talked about, you know, just before we started, you know, how your eyes lit up, because uh, we're doing this on Zoom, even though this is audio, your eyes lit up talking about what you saw, the people you spent, it, it sounds like the, the, you haven't lost your joy of living. And I'm sure there were probably times when you were in the pyramids in the desert, you just something must have came, come over you, because I can feel that you're just happy to be alive and you enjoy everything about life. Well, I, I love learning. And I, I didn't, I was so rebellious as a child. My father was a teacher. So I failed dismally at school on purpose just to rebel against him. Right. And I was 46 when I went to university for the first time. And I remember walking into this library in the university going, oh my God, all these books are here for me. And that was another life-changing moment because I stopped rebelling against learning and start to start to embrace it so I've got two MAs and I'm just about to start a third MA oh, well, of um, course. yeah in the cultural astronomy and astrology of of our of our country so and I start that in October and I'm so looking forward to it because for me um Astronomy is introducing the ore back into life. And astrology is how in ancient times, obviously, and it certainly is now, how we bring those the, the energy of the stars into our daily life. And I'm just fascinated by that. I don't know if it's true or not, but gosh, I'm interested. And anything that interests me, that does. I'm up for it. So it sounds like one of the also the other keys is that 
the joy to continuously want to learn. Yeah. Always be open to new ideas, meet new people, do new things, and not just and live your life the best way that you can. So yeah. through your all the, the books that you've written, the different types of books, what do you want the reader to walk away after reading this current book? I, it sounds really trite, but honestly, be learn to be yourself. Learn who you are. Stop trying to be somebody else or live somebody else's life or project your hopes and wishes onto somebody else. They can't live your life for you. They can't. And I believe all of us have some form of talent, something. It doesn't matter if it's looking after kids or you're a CEO of a massive company or you're a famous person or I don't know, you're a you're a traveler on the on the road. It doesn't matter. All of us have got something to contribute. And it's about finding that something that gives your life meaning, the, the gift that gives your life meaning and purpose. As I said, it may be something very small, ordinary, beautiful. Ordinary is lovely. It doesn't have it. Most of us are never going to be on a big stage. It's not it's not possible. It, you know, that is the you know, that is for a very small percentage of people. And it's what how do you make your everyday life really fun and interesting and fulfilling? Because that's the time that's given to you. One last thing. I know you you go by the quote, if you can't live, you can't die. And if you yeah. can't die, you can't live. What does this quote mean to you? Well, that's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's famous quote. So what she's saying is, if you can't die, you can't die. You're so full of anxiety, you can't live. And if you can't live, which you can't engage with your life, you can't die well. That's what she's saying. So again, it's coming back to making the best of who you are. You know, we're all born with a set of cards in our life, in our hand when we're born, metaphorically. You can't chuck those cards in, but the free will, that's fate, but the free will is how do I play this hand the best way I can? And some people have pretty crappy hands actually, but you can still learn to play that as best you can. That's how I, that's how I see it. Subraina, um, if people want to get in contact, you find out more and more about your work, your books, um, you know, podcasts, how can they do that? Just go to my website, um, www.subraine.co.uk and you can contact me through the website. Subrain, I want to thank you so much for your enlightening, your your joy, um, <laughs> all this talk that you've brought. It, it does, you know, again, from your, your enthusiasm, you can feel that you have a joy for life. And, um, you well, know, I've learned how to have a joyful life. Yeah. And, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here on the Executive Health Podcast. And hopefully we'll have another chat down uh, in the future, because I'd love to continue having conversations with you. You're so in, in interesting and <laughs> a lot of fun to talk to. Thank you very much. It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.